Amen. You may have seen it. This scripture reading comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 45, verses 1 to 15. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all of those who stood by him, and he cried out, Send everyone away from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him. So dismayed were they that at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brother, Come closer to me. And they came closer. He said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in this land for two years, and there are five more years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth, and to keep alive for you and many survivors. So it is not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh, and the Lord of all his house, and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry, and go up to my father, and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not delay. You shall settle in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near to me. You and your children, and your children's children, as well as your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. I will provide for you there, since there are five more years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have will not come to poverty. And now your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my own mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father how greatly I am honored in Egypt, and all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all of his brothers and wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Um, let me say that um, when I think about scenes in the Bible, I can think of no more scenes that are more powerfully emotional than what we find in these latter chapters of the book of, of Genesis. Um, a number of years, well, back when I was starting my ministry back in the late 1970s, there was a project underway at that time, and this was before DVDs and uh, a lot of the electronics that we have of today. Uh, but there, there was a, a project to create um, films uh, that would be a, a kind of media translation of the Bible. It was called the Genesis Project. And I remember uh, the first two books that they had translated into a motion picture venue uh, were the books of Genesis and Luke. And um, 
the thing that struck me about this, this was not a project like any other. And they, they never were able to get beyond that. They, it's too expensive a project. They were able to do those two books, and that was it. Uh, some of you may be familiar with the, the movie that was called Jesus, um, and that, that is the Lucan version of this project. Um, and it goes back, like I said, to the mid-'70s. Um, but, but the thing that I, I thought was remarkable about this, it, it was meant to be a translation. In other words, what you had was a narrator who actually spoke the words of Scripture, as you would find in the Bible. And then the images and the sounds that you would have in the background, what you would be observing, uh, would be a, a motion picture kind of translation or a visual image of what was being spoken. And so what you would get is when when Jesus uh, spoke when the narrator would say, and Jesus said such and such, uh, in the background, you would hear the voice of Jesus speaking, but he would be speaking Aramaic. Um, and so when you, in Genesis, what, what's interesting is that when you get to the part where, uh, Joseph's brothers come and meet with Joseph for the first time, uh, what you hear in the background is Joseph speaking Egyptian. Uh, and, you know, and, and growing up reading the Bible, it never dawned on me until I saw this visually uh, why the brothers didn't recognize Joseph. You would think, my goodness, you know, they should know their brother, Joseph. Um, but in, in the visual image of this, what you saw was a man who didn't look like he was Hebrew at all, had his head shaved, he had uh, his eyes painted, he was wearing Egyptian uh, uh, clothing, and, and not only that, he was speaking Egyptian, and even though he understood their Hebrew, when they spoke to him, in the background you could see he would lean over and there would be a translator who would be translating Hebrew into Egypt, uh, into Egyptian. So that was the first time it, re it really captured my understanding uh, what happened that, that day when the brothers who had thrown Joseph into the pit, who thought he was long since gone, a slave, maybe, maybe he had died in slavery, they were not expecting to see Joseph. And they come there, it's two years into the famine, they're hungry, they're begging for food, and here is the most powerful man in Egypt, save uh, Pharaoh, standing before them, speaking Egyptian, looking very Egyptian, and, and you can understand why they didn't understand why they didn't realize that was his brother. But in the movie, and, and as you read the scriptures, he has to go away. He is so overcome with emotion. He, see, he knows who they are. He hears what they're saying in Hebrew. He hears how they're talking. And so he goes off in a back room and he weeps. And then he comes back. And, and he tries his best to kind of be the stern uh, leader that he's supposed to be in Egypt. He sends them away, and you know, the whole story with Benjamin and all that. And then we come to this 45th chapter in Genesis, where finally it's clear that he can no longer uh, carry out this charade. He has to finally admit who he is. And, and he tells them that he is their brother Joseph, whom they had sold into slavery. And he just breaks down and he weeps. He just weeps. And, and in fact, uh, in verse 2, it says, he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. You can almost hear him wailing. It, it is one of the most powerful scenes in the scriptures of reconciliation 
and how that so affects people when they are engaged in it. Let's uh, turn to God in prayer. Dear Lord, as we look at your scriptures this morning, we pray that you would open these words to us, help us to, to see ourselves in this experience of Joseph, and, and help us, uh, more importantly, hear your voice as, as you share with us your desire for our lives, your desire for our living. Help, help us to hear you speak to us. Don't let the preacher's words get in the way. But speak to us in such a way that we hear you speaking to each one of us individually. Open our ears and open our hearts to what you have to say. Speak to us, Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. Now, as, uh, as I told the children earlier, there, there's a phrase that we're all familiar with, isn't it? That when life gives you lemons, uh, make lemonade. Now, you know, you've probably heard that this was attributed to Carnegie, you know, his kind of business acumen. But actually, it goes back to 1915. Elbert Hubbard coined the phrase for the first time in an obituary that he had written to honor a dwarf actor by the name of Marshall Wilder. And in this obituary, Hubbard was trying to trying to describe this this man that had so transformed his life by the way he dealt with with the difficulties in in his living and uh, and and that's why he spoke of this man as taking the lemons that had been given to him and turning that turning them into lemonade well needless to say joseph was one who had been handed quite a few lemons as I shared with the with the children, uh, it's pretty obvious. I mean, uh, being thrown in the pit by your brothers—that's that's pretty much a pretty big lemon. Uh, being sold into slavery and then uh, ending up, even though he, maybe maybe he had maybe one of the nicer kind of slave jobs to be in Potiphar's uh, household, it uh, he was still a slave. And then he was. He was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife of assault, and he ends up in prison for a number of years, for at least two years, we know, because the cupbearer, uh, after having had his uh, dream interpreted by Joseph, went off, and it was, it, the scriptures tell us it was two years before he remembered uh, Joseph and, and then told Pharaoh when Pharaoh was having his dreams about Joseph. Uh, so we know at least two years were spent, spent there in prison. Um, Joseph had every good reason, if you ask me, every good reason to hate his brothers. That weeping that I read, read to you in verse, verse 2, that weeping that occurred, and, and for that matter, it happened more than once. Uh, we read a little bit later how Benjamin, his youngest brother, and he just wept on, they wept on each other's shoulders. That weeping might... Uh, might have been as much for those years of pain that he had endured, those years in prison, those years as a slave, that being thrown into the pit by his brothers, really, really, they were contemplating killing him. Um, have 11 of your brothers turn against you in that way, it, mu it must have been horrendous. And so maybe 
all the years of pain had finally just kind of built up and he just had to let it out in, in his tears. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's part of what his tears were, but, but it was also for the joy that he felt for being reconciled with his family once again. If, if you've ever wept, if you've ever deeply wept, you know how tears can, can encapsul- encapsulate so many emotions. Uh, you, you can weep out of, out of frustration as Jesus did at the tomb of Lazarus when all, all the people were, you know, they didn't believe that he had the power to raise Lazarus and they were all weeping for Lazarus, but not him. No, Jesus was weeping out of frustration that they didn't believe that he, that he could do what he had come there to do. So you can weep out of frustration. You can weep out of just wonderful joy. You just, you, you just feel so good that the tears just flow from you. And then you can, you can weep from the pain that you experience, the humiliation. But Joseph wasn't one to let lemons get the better of him. He was a lemonade maker, or maybe more exactly, God uh, was the lemonade maker on his behalf. Joseph was handed a boatload of lemons, and God helped him make an ocean full of lemonade. That's exactly what happened. He was thrown in the pit, and God transformed this execution pit into a slave auction block where he would eventually make his way into Egypt, where ultimately he would find himself in a position to save not only his, his family, but perhaps all the people of Egypt as well. And when he was falsely accused and thrown into prison, God sent him some dreams to interpret that led him to become the most powerful man in Egypt next to Pharaoh. Now, that's some pretty serious lemonade making, if you ask me. No wonder Joseph told his brothers when he finally revealed himself to them. No wonder he said, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. That that was the lemonade, you see. God was making lemonade out of the lemons in Joseph's life, and God wants to do the same with you and me. Now, I want us to take, I've got a little video here I want to show you. I want to take a look at some people who rose above and beyond what could have been insurmountable obstacles in their lives and went on to make a huge difference in the world around them. Let's see this.
at 30 years old, he was left devastated and depressed after being unceremoniously removed from the company he started. A high school dropout whose personal struggles with drugs and poverty culminated in an unsuccessful suicide attempt. The teacher told him he was too stupid to learn anything and that he should go into a field where he might succeed by virtue of his pleasant personality. Rejected by Nick Recording Studios, who said, we don't like their sound, they have no future in show business. His first book, was rejected by 27 publishers. His fiance died, failed in business, had a nervous breakdown, and was defeated in eight elections. Well, I'd say that was some serious lemonade that some folks uh, had made out of the lemons that had been sent their way early in their lives. You and I, if we are honest with ourselves, will probably never rise out of the ashes of our most difficult past like a phoenix, like some of these folks, like, you know, we will probably never get to that point where we will revolutionize the way the world looks at the universe like Albert Einstein. We might, but probably not. We, we may not rise out of our difficulties to create a, a, a whole motion picture industry of characters that a century of children share in common like Walt Disney did. We will probably not um, make lemonade in such a way that we will develop tools of communication that make a mere telephone sound obsolete, as Steve Jobs did. Um, we will probably not invent something like a light bulb that lights a whole world like Thomas Edison. And if we're honest, we will probably not rise from our humble beginnings and free a whole nation of slaves, slaves like uh, Abraham Lincoln. But I'm here to say I am absolutely convinced, 100% convinced, that we will all someday, if we have not already, be served a plateful of lemons. It is inevitable. And you and I will need to decide what we're going to do with those lemons. Now, we can complain about the sour taste. We can say, well, that's a horrible thing. It's a horrible thing that they did to me or I did myself or that happened to me. We can do that. We can pick up the lemons and throw them right back at wherever we think they came from. Or we can make lemonade. That's the choice. Now, in Joseph's day... The Hebrew understanding of God is that everything came from God. Everything, good, bad, and different, even evil, came from God. And so that's why in this scripture you can hear 
Joseph speaking to his brothers and making it very clear, God sent me here. In, in essence, God made you throw me in that pit. God made you sell me into slavery just so I could get to this point in being, living in Egypt so that one day I could save you and your families and for that matter, for the Egyptian families. That, that was the Hebrew understanding of God. But I, I want to be real honest with you. I don't believe God purposely causes evil in order to affect good. Now, I believe there's plenty of evil in this world and there are plenty of horrible things and what the brothers did to Joseph was absolutely wrong and it was horrible. There, there were some pretty big lemons that they were throwing at their brother Joseph, but I don't believe God made them do that. That was their choice. They did it. But God was able to use what they did to bring about good. In fact, God can use anything, anything that's thrown our way to bring, bring about good. I know that from personal experience. Most of you know that um, I lost my mother and, and uh, four-year-old sister in an automobile accident when I was 10 years old. Our whole family was involved in the, in the accident. My 16-year-old sister um, really had to have her whole half of her face reconstructed, was in the hospital for a year, and underwent many surgeries to reshape her face. Think about this. A 16-year-old girl losing her mother... And, and her physical identity. My dad had a broken neck. He, had, uh, he was at the Walter Reed Hospital for six months. They had drilled holes in his head to you know, put him in traction because of his broken neck. And today I still wear a scar on my forehead to remind me of that fateful day. Four years later, my dad would die of a heart attack and I would be raised by two separate uh, foster parents who loved me and whom I grew to love deeply. I'm here to say that I don't believe God created, gave my dad a heart attack. I don't believe God, uh, you know, caused that accident on the Pennsylvania Turnpike. I don't believe that for a moment. But I do believe God was there to help me find a purpose, a way in the midst of that pain. Absolutely. And that's exactly what I did. I found a purpose. I found a little church in Northern Virginia that introduced me to some of the most wonderful people in the world that showed me firsthand what the gospel is all about, what God's love is all about. I found couples who took me into their home and gave of themselves in love in spite of their own mental and physical illness. And ultimately, I found that I could love as well. Now, we have seen in the newspapers, we've watched on television, heard on the radio some horrific tragedies in, o over the last years. Sandy Hook, Orlando, Dallas. Just saying the words probably in your own mind conjures up images of of these horrific scenes. How about Belgium, Germany, France? We've heard too many stories of suicide bombers in Afghanistan, in Syria, and Iraq. 
But God doesn't do this. God doesn't create those atrocities. God does not do that. People do. God doesn't kill innocents. And God doesn't encourage war. But I do believe God can bring about good out of even such horrible pain. The world can find a greater purpose in all these circumstances as, as Joseph and his brothers found in the midst of those tragic events in his life. But I'm here to say that you and I must choose to find that purpose. It's a choice that we have to make. And the choice is simple, very simple. We can become bitter and angry and hateful and vengeful and we can pick up those lemons and we can throw them as hard as we can at what we believe to be the enemy. We can do that. That's a choice. We can say these lemons are so sour, so horrible, and we can just get into the fight. Or we can learn to find hope. And we can look for promise. And we can look for purpose and love in the midst of the pain. We can do that. In other words, we can make lemonade. And I'm here to say God will help us do it if that's what we choose. That's what Joseph did. And we can do the same thing. Let us pray. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for blaming you for all the lemons in life. Sometimes we want to throw the lemons back at you because we can't find another enemy. But the truth of the matter is this old world we live in is full of lemons and strawberries, watermelons. There's a whole fruit plate of wonderful, delicious fruit that you send our way. Help us to Help us to make a fruit punch. Help us to find purpose in the midst of our pain. Amen. Let's continue worshiping.